take two middle-aged men who happen to be cousins and share a common codependency on movies, put them in a room, and tell them to talk about anything film-related. The result? An existential exposition of cinematic synergy we call The Finleys on Film. Mr. Finley. Mr. Finley, how are you, sir? I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing okay. Excited. Why? Filled with vim and vigor. I, because those are just words that sounded good coming out of my mouth. Oh, so. uh, okay. Um, how, how familiar are you with uh, John Garfield? Um, I know very little about John Garfield. I do know I, 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 there's one fact that is completely uh, part of the mythology, I think, uh, but I've heard it and that he did it. The, he, had, he had a. Um, uh, an enormous wing. I've heard that too. I didn't want to say it because I, on two of the worst episodes, and I shouldn't say worst, <laughs> but two of the most disappointing episodes, I started with that premise and it seems to go south. Uh, so I'm glad you said it. And so the yeah, curse I heard, is with I heard he has an enormous wing. That's really kind of all I know. And I guess he was like, you know, like a big star for a, for a short period of time. He was a big star. Yeah, that, that that's really kind of it. That's really all I know. And it's all oh. hearsay. I have no, I I, I don't know that I've read anything by somebody who saw his dick. It's uh, Wang saying, and then and then wrote a memoir about it. It's, I, I've heard it. Somewhere. It was a fold out. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. I mean, we're we're about to do a weird thing that we did with. Um, I think when we did the Frederick March episode, one of the movies we did was uh, 1937's *A Star Is Born*, and then you and I discovered Janet Gaynor. Like we thought she was great, and then it's like someday we're going to do a Janet Gaynor episode, and what we'll be missing is her most famous movie, *A Star Is Born*. And so I'd like to do a John Garfield uh, uh, episode, and and there are films to to pull from, but I think his most famous film is the one we're doing for a one-off here, not dedicated to John Garfield, and that is 1947's *Heart and Soul*. Heart and Soul, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I had, so what's your take on this movie? I, I, I kind of have some interesting thoughts on this thing. Oh, there's quite a few. I mean, um, uh, one is the approach. The thing I'd heard most about it um, is that uh, Scorsese sort of cited it as one of his most um, loved and influential films. Oh, that's interesting. I could see that. Actually. I didn't see it for a long time in the film. This is the first time I saw it, but but I got it later on in the film. Um, it's a film that, uh, if I'm going to do like a very big overview, that has like two of the three acts are very very like um, staples of American cinema. I'll go you one. Okay, I'll go you one better. This is just, the, or I'm not one better, but but uh, in agreement with you. But I would say this uh, overall about this movie. This is um, this is a movie that works despite the fact that it's like almost jarringly formulaic through most of it. Yeah, it's got a. If I, if I go, I'm thinking of films not related to boxing or anything, but like if I go back to 1934, it's like Manhattan melodrama um, with uh, William Powell. Is that your dog? <laughs> Hey, dog. Uh, William Powell and uh, Clark Gable, and it's like, or, or Angels with Dirty Faces. Those were the, from the 30s, and and what they had in, in a similarity is like they fit into the landscape of like the the American rugged individual growing up in poverty, fighting your way through. And what those films did is they 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 put a, um, a kind of morality tale about how you fight your way through onto two people. So like always one kid from Skid Row would turn out to be a priest or a cop or a district attorney, and the other would turn out to be a gangster. Uh, what's interesting about Heart and Soul is that it puts it all on the shoulders of, of one character. Right. And also that it 
well, I, I'm just sort of blowing the whole wad. I, I have more to say, as I'm sure you do too, right? So, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, it's the story of a uh, 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 wrong side of the tracks kid, Jewish kid, mm-hmm. who, who grows up in poverty, who sees the worst of it, is humiliated by um, the prospect of being helped by the government. Uh, right, right. And um, decides we don't take charity in this house. Yeah, decides to use his skills as a fighter to work his way up as a boxer. All right, right nothing right. too unusual. And then, and then there. Like at that point, it's like here's the thing: I find I, I would say this is a very effective uh, boxing movie, yep. even though it like covers the, the same ground as every almost every other boxing movie has covered this ground one way or the other. You mean this, the ground of the story? Has a similar situation, right? The arc is the arc is almost always the same, and then of course. You know, true to form, uh, he you know goes into boxing. He gets good at it. Uh, he gets his shot at the championship. Uh, the, he he acquires a floozy and starts neglecting the the, the, the nice, kindly little woman who's been there all along. Yep. All that kind of stuff. But oddly enough, this is a very I don't know. It's just it works. This this is probably the best version of all the stereotypes of boxing movies that you've ever seen. Somehow it works, and I think and I think the the the, the I think. The, the title of the movie has something to do with it, heart and soul. I think there's a there's a little more human Ooh, feeling going on. Heart this. and soul. Yeah. Mm. So th- that's what I think. That's what I think makes this movie actually work is that there's like a humanist sort of approach to it. It's mostly represented by his mother uh, and, and what she says and does in the movie. But it but it's kind of but it's a it's a perspective you don't often see in a boxing movie out of that time period. Well, I think what makes it work and what with the, the, the small twist that's there is that it walks this sort of interesting line because you're coming into the 40s out of World War II, right? And so there's a few things happening. You have this sort of country that's very nationalistic still. Um, having experienced most of those people, the Great Depression, there's this sort of fine line that we're walking between personal pride and the belief that the individual could be the rugged individual, the pioneering American, we can make it greatest country in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I think what this film does that's different is it warns about the um, evils of greed, parenthetical capitalism. Because mm-hmm. what's what's not unusual, I agree with you about the arc, is that um, – the boxer or whatever athlete forgets where he ca- he came from and he gets a floozy and there's, you know, uh, the idea of like throwing the fight and the, the dirty money and all that sort of stuff. What is unusual is that the main character is addicted and what he's addicted to is success and money. Right. And that I don't think you really see in, in other films or they're afraid to um, yeah. talk about that, that, that personal um, over indulgence and belief and the the system where you can make as much if you try right. is actually uh, poisonous. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I think there's a, there's this sort of humanist angle that they're taking in this movie that's making it much a much more effective sort of a boxing movie than it would be otherwise. And, and that's one way of going about it, which is showing showing his plight as not being as being something he can't help. Like like you said, it's an addiction in his case. But I can't think of other movies that really do that. For at least from like time that, no, but no, no, um, boxing, you know, I mean, like I said, a lot of boxing movies, there's a lot of formula that goes on in those things as a rule, but they never show, uh, 
they only show sort of the moral decay. They don't show the, the sort of physical craving that comes along with it that makes that happen. Well, think of a movie like Joker's Wild, the Sinatra movie. Joker's Wild, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's this sort of arc like this guy, um, the mob slits his throat. And so and he goes from becoming a singer to um, a remarkably unfunny comedian, but that's aside. Um, and he, the, his crash is that he begins to think too much of himself and to drink too much. But never is there a storyline where it's like this guy's addicted to like bigger, right. you know, um, bigger payer plays at fucking Chuck the Chuckle Hut or whatever it is. <laughs> like, um, but that's that's like a, a definite part of like from the very beginning. You know, he has this the good girl you mentioned, Lily Palmer. Right. Is an is an artist, and she immediately sets the sort of like, what do you care that much about money beyond starvation? Like, why is that an important part? And so, it's a film that actually asserts that feeding your soul is more important than building your bank account, and that is very, I would say, un-American. Un-American, <laughs> and and it's not sort of, um, I think, a coincidence that John Garfield got into so much trouble. Um, because you know the House of Un-American Activity basically helped destroy yeah. this guy. Is that is that what happened? I I, I was unaware. He of had that. a heart attack at 39 in the early oh. 1950s. Um, and um, he's just trying to get an erection, unfortunately. <laughs> that poor coffin lid. But he um, he he um, I think was a lot of people feel like driven to. I mean, he met he might have died early anyway because he had a, a weak heart. Um, but, but he was driven to it because, um, he was considered a communist. And it's like, I think a movie like this doesn't, doesn't help the same year. He does a, a co-starring role in gentleman's agreement where he takes on anti-Semitism. And it's like this guy's personal sort of left of center politics or liberal politics was unpopular at the time. Um, we have movies that are like, um, these two movies in 47 that are like challenging a lot of the mainstream bigotry i guess i would say um and so that's definitely going against the cultural norm of the time for sure yeah yeah and and um yeah and then also like i think this film's interesting the way it treats race um because it it makes sympathetic um the one african-american character is smart smarter than a lot of the other characters in the film and -hmm. sympathetic and tragic well and and has more heart than most of them as well. I mean, first, you know, like there is that element too. I mean, it's, he's he's more highly moral than most of the people going on in there. He didn't get caught out. I mean, he got fucked over by boxing, but he didn't get he didn't get fucked over simply by greed, but because he was manipulated. Not by his own greed. By a larger system of corruption. But he was manipulated by a lot of people's greed, including John John Garfield's. Yeah, yeah, Begr- yeah, begrudging so, greed almost, but it's like that's the infectious nature of greed is the, sort of one of the thesis points of the film. But you're right. I mean, it re- is really interesting how sympathetically they portrayed the one black character in there, and I'm sure that maybe that probably didn't help John Garfield when it came to the Hewitt Committee either. Yeah, probably. Yeah, definitely going against the mores of the day. Yeah, I would say no doubt about it. Um, a couple of things. Uh, Lily Palmer, who you, do you remember Lily Palmer from uh, Counter for Traitor? Yep. Um, that unmistakable, I don't know why she wasn't a big, a star. She was a big star, Tommy. She was in, I remember her from counterfeit trader and winds of war. And I know that she did other things, but, um, what's very distinct about her is her, is her, because of her Polish background, her over pronunciation of everything. I mean, you hear her voice and that is yeah. Lily Palmer's voice every time. Well, she's interesting too, because she's also like, I mean, she's, I mean, she, she's in Hollywood. She's a starlet. So of course she's a beautiful woman, but she's atypically. So I would say, yeah, I agree. And she's got she's got kind of a funny face, but it but it but it definitely works. 
Yeah. A fun, yeah. <laughs> you and I. Was that not woke what I just said? No, I no, no. I just I was thinking because of Zoom, I'm able to look at both of our faces and it's hilarious that uh, either one of us would say she has a funny face. But yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you know. I don't think our faces are funny, Joe. No, they're not amusing at all. Tragic, <laughs> but not funny. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I. Cool, but not laugh at Maybe that's it. Maybe she just was too sort of unique or something like that. Yeah, um, that, that, I'm sure that probably played a sort of a part into it. She's like, she's not atypical. She's atypically beautiful. Or maybe so like too Eastern Bloc. Too, again, the more is of the day, certainly Hollywood style. Yeah, I guess so. Um, the other thing I was thinking was that whole thing about Scorsese is uh, for a while I was like, well, I guess as a student of classic film, he, but I don't know why this more than like Grand Illusion or anything else. And well, the answer is the, um, the third act. I don't think it is classically a boxing film in this sense. Uh, until Raging Bull came along, I, I hadn't seen right. another really like artistically realistic, well done boxing match. And this one yeah. is great. Yeah, it's really well put together, and you can see. T- and, and I didn't know that about Scorsese, but but it, knowing knowing that he took a bite out of this one, it's fucking obvious when you watch Raging. Bull. When you watch Raging Bull, and especially like those opening scenes with the operatic, you know, music and the the slow black and white cinematography, it's like it's almost cribbed right out of this. Obviously, with better technology, et cetera. But he yeah. he's playing an homage to to this film particularly. Yeah, yeah, and like you said, it's 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 unique in that it's actually showing it's like decent boxing. Like I don't yeah, know, I love Rocky, but that's fucking terrible. Oh no, no, that's just terrible. that's just idiots with their hands down throwing punches at each other for for, for way too long. No, this is actually looks like boxing. Even mm-hmm. the whole sort of arc that that's too classic in boxing. It's like, are you gonna take a dive? It's yeah. you want to roll your eyes every time you see that boxing movie, but it's a little more complex here because they set it up nicely with the question of how much is enough. Well, it's, it isn't just that, but they also set it up. They also set it up interestingly, like it's an interesting plot point in the whole thing. So he's agreed to throw the fight as such, which is to go fifteen rounds, not lose, but lose by decision. Right? That's yeah. his agreement. Yeah. But and so he's put all of his money on that. But it comes to find out in the third, like in the thirteenth round. The other guy is supposed to come out and really try to wail and bring him down, and that if that the people that he voted with, that he's uh, supporting with this this activity, the the, the, the gangsters, uh, they voted they, they they bet on him in the thirteenth round instead of the fifteenth round. So he's going to get fucked either way, right? So he's like, all right. So that it's just a much more interesting way of going about that. You know, every other movie is like the third round, go down, kid, or something like that. This is a more interesting take on what that would have been, and. Uh, so that makes it that much more compelling, I think. And plus he's given the money ahead of time or some cut of it, and Lily Palmer stashes it away, thereby forcing him to make a confession to them and, and to his mother and to his girlfriend, his would-be fiancé, about what he's agreed to. And, yeah. and they come and watch him. And it's like, yeah. oh, that felt like genuine. Like, yeah, that's what would happen. They'd be disappointed right. in you, but they would still come to see what happens. And, you know, it was sort of like the onlyest thing about this movie. It, it, and this has been happening a lot. Maybe I've just been noticing it more when we've been, we've been having these conversations is um, the ending, the way he just sort of steps away from the mob and says, no, I'm not going to be part of you, mob. It's like, what? <laughs> Wait, I think you owe them money, sir. Yeah, I think that point where they, yeah, they, might, they might become part of you in the showers. <laughs> Nobody's looking. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, I thought the ending was kind of a cheap shot. I, I think that's 
That's you know, anything we do, you know, because we have a cutoff of 1980. A lot of what you and I take on, Tom, I think involves endings that just sort of give in to the mainstream. I would say endings are the most problematic part of the films we watch. Yeah, probably. I think, but you know, I think here's my here's my take on what the thinking was. What is your take, this Tommy? Movie right here. Uh, is that you know any sort of intimation that the mob is going to bring violence down on him would have been a fourth act or something like that. They weren't going to let it just go. I don't know. But For wait some a reason, minute. they just decided to let that entire point slip. I know it's exactly 10 years later, but I just want to sort of note, every time we think like, well, what can they do? Because you and I are like, a classic film apologists in a way, right? You know, we had this. I don't know what you mean, Joe. <laughs> and I apologize. You know, like you know, we had this recent thing with our friend Doug, who who was talking about to me about Spellbound, and I immediately was like trying to apologize for Spellbound's corniness. No, you don't understand. You and I are like contextual apologists, but I want to sort of take the other approach here because in 1957. They had a perfect ending like that, not mob related necessarily, but with uh, sweet smell of success. There are films where you, you the the our protagonist will walk away, and you're like, oh my god, that guy is doomed. So it wasn't yeah. like it was impossible to do. It's just that they decided not to do it, maybe for all the other reasons. You know, John Garfield being Jewish, his sort of flirtation with the left or his support of the left, really. Right. And 47 is a little early for Huac, right? But it's it's about that it's about yeah, to it's, enter into yeah, that time, it's coming, right? It's, it's coming hard for sure. Anyone with eyes, will we deaf, Tommy? Will we blind? Would you see not? <laughs> <laughs> before I made my life excrement. <laughs> okay. uh, what, doesn't that just seem like almost? A, I I know this is going to sound weird, but for the, the doesn't the Huac period just seem almost charming in a sense? You mean compared to today, or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I would, I would almost rather deal with that kind of more straightforward. Because you could pick a side, you know, like like uh, John Houseman yeah. says in Three Days to the Condor, I miss the clarity. Right. Uh, it's, you could you could pick a side, <laughs> because I'm sorry to sort of go off onto like current events. We promised we'd never do that again, but. Um, there was a press conference yesterday with our our, uh, our president, Mr. Trump. Commander uh, in chief to you, buddy. That's right. And um, <laughs> a reporter <laughs> asked him, a reporter asked him, um, why? What is the purpose of you um, reminding us that we've done the best job since it's not solved and it's not solved all over the world? Like, is there a purpose you can state for your continuing to tell us we've done the best job? Which, by the way, is a political question, is biased, but actually is kind of a legitimate question. That's a pretty legitimate question. Right? I mean, it's even with the bias, it's a legitimate question. He says to her, why I'll tell you what, why don't you ask China, which is a bullshit answer. Okay? So there should be clarity there, Mr. Hausman. The press. One for the press. Except that immediately she... An Asian American reporter says, is there a reason you asked me that? To which half the media now goes, he went after her because she was Chinese. And it's like, <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake, can't you please everyone shut up and let him be glaringly wrong without you at, you know, murking it up? So, yes, yeah. I agree with you. The HUAC committee was at least clearer. You know, you look back on history and like, like a John Garfield situation or, you know, um, uh, what's his name? Um 
was a clear moral stance to be taken one fucking way or the other. And both sides at least had an interior logic that was consistent. Who was the writer also? He wrote. He helped write Spartacus when he came back. Um, Truman. Uh, not Truman Capote, but the like, you're on the right track. I know. Bah, I know. Dalton bah, Trumbo. Dalton Trumbo. Like, whether it's John Garfield or Dalton Trumbo, I like to think when I look at those examples, had I been in that position, I just would have moved to Mexico and started making films or, you know, whatever it is. But it's so murky now that you go, like, what would I do? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Who yeah, do yeah, I join yeah. here? Anyway, sorry for that sidetrack. Anyways, everyone. that's the, that's the, this is the segment of the show that finally ended our careers. So. Careers, interesting word. <laughs> yeah, I was I was leaving that one to the imagination. And I can't I can't let this moment pass where we talk about John Garfield without talking about uh, Barbara Stanwyck, who uh, we should do an episode on her, and we should be fair because she was a great actress, and I liked her in films like Double Indemnity, but who was so I just to remind people every time her name comes up, so horribly cunty when it came to being an informer in these situations. I want to learn more about that. I was not aware that uh, Stanwyck uh, had rolled that hard. I want to. I, I I want to mention her husband, but I forget his name. All of a sudden, and he was the same way. I think Aliyah Kazan gets a lot of shit unfairly. Yeah. Actually, I mean, and, and you could argue that that he betrayed those around him, but at the very least, there's some evidence that he was tortured and and had some pain about it, and he got advice from fellow actors to like, yeah, you do do what you have to do. Uh, Barbara Stanwyck was fucking salivating to fucking turn people in. That cunt. Sorry. Really? She had no heart and soul. No, man. You should definitely have heart and soul, Joe. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, sorry. Ranty, ranty episode. Um, anything else about heart and soul? Yeah, I mean, just overall, it's, it's a good movie. It's an excellent movie. I definitely rec- uh, high recommend on this guy. Yeah, I would say so too. And I would I, say pick a better print than the one we got a hold of. But uh, I had a good print. I, I got a hold of a really good print. But I, I would say that's the first. Um, I got a good print, Tommy. <laughs> mm, <laughs> what prints you have? Superior prick. Mm, yours is a Freddy print. Um, that please get to your point. Mm-hmm, quickly, and at that, I should say, <laughs> um, and that is that I think it's a movie you have to. Um, hold on to or, or hang with for a bit because it can seem in the first 20 minutes like oh my god this formulaic nonsense and it's like it really is formulaic as fucking like I, but but like i said overall it pays off it, it's not it's it's better than the formula you think it's going to be like tommy said uh, well put sir well put all right uh i think you have a website sir i do uh tomsmithcomedy.com go check it out wonderful and if you can rate and review us on iTunes, that'd be great. And send us an email to straighten straighten our asses out, as Alec Baldwin likes to say, at finleysonfilm at gmail.com. Let us know where we're wrong. Okay. Love you, Tommy. Take care, bud.